Now, where did I put it? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox. Tools for life and everything in between. Stuff you can use or toss, it's up to you. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tools for the Toolbox. This is episode 22 and uh, I've been talking to some really awesome people lately and I cannot wait for my guest today to introduce himself because what a story. So first off, who are you and what is your military background? Uh, my name is Damian Robertson. Uh, my military background is uh, I was in the infantry, 031. Uh, one RCR uh, from 98 to 2002. And okay. yeah. And what do you do now? I am a tattoo artist. Tattoo and artist. fine painter. Yes, fine I am. Painter. Absolutely. Your, your stuff is outstanding. And I cannot wait for you to work on my arm because I've, like, I'm chomping at the bit to get that piece done. It, it's going to be fucking... Yeah, we'll definitely get you in here sooner than later because I definitely want to, you know, I'm pretty jacked for that piece, you know, to get done and on skin. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's uh, that's been uh, 16 years. I've been a tattoo artist now and an artist. So, and, uh, yeah. So, tattooing is kind of a niche, though, right? Like, what what led you into tattooing specifically? Um. Well, when I got out, I uh, I was able to get my sys up, so I went to school for art, and I spent two years in an art and graphic design school. Uh, that was whew, fun. <laughs> uh, like you were saying just a few moments ago about going to school and being around like people who are like, I'm like, all right, I'm 24, I just got out of the army, I have PTSD, but paying for my school, but I'm in art school, so I'm in with like... 17 18 year olds who have never artists. seen anything <laughs> artists who have never seen anything in the world never done anything and literally neither neither have i but i've just done enough to know that there's more out there than what they know you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so and uh yeah that was that was a rough two years because i had no idea what ptsd was i didn't know how to handle it didn't know how to handle myself and mm-hmm. yeah it was uh Oh, fuck. Rough, tan- rough transition, that's for sure. Well, speaking of a transition, how did, like, you're saying it's rough. What was the transition like coming out of the military? Was it a smooth out the door? No, or for, was it like for a- me, because because my injury wasn't war-related or tour-related, it was just kind of like a fucking bad circumstance. Led to a bunch of other bad circumstances. Um, I just, like, I never recovered. My back never got fully better to hump a rock anymore and um unfortunately that incident really kind of shut my brain up a little bit too so there's just something not right i mean like i wanted to do my job i love the regiment i love one rcr i love the pioneers uh got a lot of good friends but i mean like four and a half years into it i was just barely getting my feet wet into the infantry it's like you know so um, yeah yeah, That's too um, I wore all my explosive patches in case you were. Just yeah, <laughs> I can't really see you, So I got the. If you see me running, try to keep up. It's always good. And this one is uh, when life closes a door, breach the wall. That's what's up. Yeah, nothing quite like yeah. explosive. Two dudes that like explosives talking to each other. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, like that. That was the thing, you know, like. I'll admit it. When I got into battalion, like I, I played high school football and stuff like that, and you get into there, so it's definitely like the boys' club where it's like you know there's a lot of doggy dog in there, and you know you kind of got to walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, sometimes I talk the talk a little bit more, and I eat a lot of fucking leather, you know. But it is what it is, you know. I'm at what I am, you know. That's and part I, of the learning all, process. All guilty of it, especially when you're 20 and full of fucking testosterone, right? Oh yeah, you're looking for a fight at that point, just like let's. Oh, well, straight up. So I mean, like, you know, I got lots of guys call me out on that shit. It's like, yep, that's exactly the way I was, you know. I was a young shithead, but you know what? At the same time, I worked hard and I loved my job. You know, I yep. love the regiment and, you know, up until, you know, um, that incident, it's just, uh, it's not a, much I could really do about it. You know, that was just, yeah. it's an unfortunate series and looking back on it now, it's like, yeah, that fucking sucked. 
Um, well, I have, uh, I got told this a little while ago from a, a good buddy of mine was that um, he said, you talk a lot of shit. And I was like, yeah, but at least I know my shit. And he was just like, that's the only reason nobody fucking can say anything about it is like, <laughs> you, like you're annoying sometimes, but at least you know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm like, I'll take yeah. that. That's a good way to go. <laughs> yeah. You're a hard worker. So, you know, we got to yeah. sort you out. We sort you out, but exactly. You know. I teach always the lessons like that get taught, right? But yeah, and you know, usually if you're getting taught by your superiors or your peers, you know, in battalion, you're getting taught once. Yeah. If you're getting taught a second time, and like that's a fucking beating buds, <laughs> like you know, you're not learning. So yeah, yeah that's unfortunate. Yeah. Now you're um, so you were in for four and a half years. Do you yeah. want to talk about the incident in case anybody is wondering? We don't have to. Uh, sure. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get into that. I've so you were in, enough. you were in Kosovo, so, uh, Kosovo, right? Kosovo, Roto One, Op Kinetic, and uh, Bravo Company. We had our own little uh, base out in Magura, which was doing like little patrols and you know just uh, vehicle checkpoints. The Russians had had that weird truce and took over the airport that we were supposed to have across from the British. And then there was that whole, we were just watching them, they're watching us pretty much, you know, that was just, <laughs> you know, not what we were training for. Cause yeah. you know, we got told six months before that like, yeah, you guys are going and we're like fucking sweet. Finally get to do something, you know, it's peacetime. So that's what's up. And uh, yeah, we got amped up, you know, we did some good training to get out there and, you know, our workup training, but yeah, well, not much going on. So uh, we get there and, beginning of December uh, 99 and mm -hmm. then I drew short stick uh, short straws for the first LT rotos so you know there's always that guy it's like oh we've been here for two months guess what you're going you're on vacation out. it's like oh <laughs> fuck right so Sweet. yeah yeah if you uh, one of my other buddies uh, Justin Pike he was like hey man um want to just get on a train together do the Euro pass because we're young, you know, travel around Europe. Yep. I'm like, and that's what all our NCOs were telling us to do too. Like, if you're young and you don't have family, like use this money to do something we didn't do. Yeah. All right, cool. So, and a few guys were doing that. So flew to Rome, got on a train, traveled around Europe for like uh, 15 days. I think it was that we were just ripping around, that's saw sweet. Alps and, you know, it was a great tour all over Germany and, you know, like it was good. I was coming back from uh, Amsterdam and uh, that night we had gotten into Cologne. I had spent all my money because I'm just a young, dumb private and well, I was pretty broke yeah. anyway. Absolutely. I had taken, uh, they had given us a, like a loan to travel if you wanted to go home or whatever. And then it would pay back through your tour pay basically, yeah. right? So. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, let's do that. I'm like, I only live once. <clears throat> so yeah, that night uh, we get to the train station and uh, because we had two different passes, he could go on the certain train that had the beds and stuff and sleep. We were both going to Milan. I, and I just didn't have enough money to pay the extra go on that train. So I got on the train I got on. Right and whew, excuse me for a second um so i'd probably be like maybe an hour behind him yeah and he took off whatever got on my train and 20 minutes later uh thing crashed uh quite spectacularly in yeah. the video i watched the other day too so because they made a documentary about the crash after mm -hmm. and just uh resulted in four manslaughter charges and a whole bunch of like safety stuff for the trains after but nine people dead 150 seriously injured and yeah just uh just a bad 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 scene and the guy had just got the train going to 120 kilometers an hour jumped the tracks during some construction but it wasn't noted on his log and the guy the safety officer who was supposed to note him on the log so it looked like he intentionally just took the train at 120 and jumped a switch so and that landed and stopped in a house oh man and i'm sitting like this but we're going this way so 
everything just, you know, it's like going on a roller coaster. You're like, well, this isn't normal because usually trains are really smooth. You know, you don't expect bumps and jumps and stuff like that. And watching yeah. a car fly beside your window. Yeah. And then fuck, everything goes black and dark. And, you know, it's just like there's that moment of realization that, whew, all right, this just happened, you know uh window beside me is all smashed in i ended up getting it out but like just little shards everywhere yeah people are pretty messed up out of that from even talking to the first responders who were there that night mm -hmm. this week and stuff like that there was uh, a lot of people who had to be like almost amputated in place just to be able to get them out you know and uh the soldier i've been looking for was one who was trying to get the door open on the wagon that had flipped on its side and people were trapped inside yeah i was wearing just civilian clothes but i had my dog tags on i had my wallet in my pocket so yeah. i had just my basic id with me and i just kind of pulled him out i'm like hey man you know you speak you speak first aid <laughs> yeah and uh he, he did so we we managed to get the door open and people started coming out and we started pulling people out but yeah, that was a bad scene. Inside there was just, unfortunately, the way the train had flipped on its side and plowed through a forest and the mixture of everything, like everything and people and yeah, yeah, it was rough. So yeah. everything from that moment, there's two moments in that. So and it was pitch black. So the house lights that it smashed into were pretty much the only iridescent lights we have and then the tall uh, lights from the train station so yeah. very minimal but yeah there's definitely some flashes in there that i still keep you know on the quite regular that uh you know it was a rough night um no yeah shit. so <laughs> yeah it was a shitty fucking night and it was a shitty Fuck. fucking um end up seeing this guy this soldier like because he was in uh uh, German fatigues, like yeah. their brown camel, the flag like stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, picked him up, or we helping people out, and I ended up just seeing him like with stretchers because about ten minutes, fifteen minutes passed, and this place is just swarmed with firefighters, First police, bodies, and everything. Yeah. And there was like uh, just a couple blocks down the road from this place was like a police academy and a fire school, so they emptied all these out. But these kids were fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. And they're they're lugging stretchers with people who are being like, you know, so all these kids got like major PTSD also. They were telling me about that. I was like, Yeah. Damn, dude. So uh, yeah. my uh <clears throat> one of the challenging things is actually dealing with like for myself when we were in Afghanistan, some of the worst parts was dealing with the injuries from blasts and rollovers and um all these things that but we were trained for it right i was teachable right. c we had guys that were uh we had medics with us like we were prepared for it it still sucked trying to yeah. deal with it and even when we were doing mass cas simulations and all kinds of stuff during training they're pretty realistic now but one of the things that i think everybody does as a soldier is you know when you haven't been involved in it is questioning you know will i do my job when the shit hits the fan right when everything yes. goes south am i going to be up to the task or am i not and right. fuck man you were up to the task right shit yeah there is a definitely like when you're sitting there like i remember sitting around just looking around like i wasn't trying to panic but it's like the adrenaline spiking you know there's like all right there's there's something to be done I don't know what it necessarily is until I met that other guy and seeing what he was doing. It's like, Oh yeah. Help people out. Yeah. This is what I need to do. But there is definitely a moment where you're looking around, looking at the scene and you're like, fuck, what, what happened? What do you do? Yeah. But the, I got my anger, not from that. My anger came from all the people who are getting out and literally crawling over people trying to just get out of the scene, grabbing their suitcases and just fucking off. Yep. <clears throat> so yep. that for me, that just, oh, yeah, that was, that hit a little bit of the sad note in my heart, you know, so. Absolutely. It's, and, a, uh, uh, it's a very challenging thing to deal with also is the, the average person, something like that 
never in a million years is it ever going to happen to them. No. Right. Like the, in the mentality of the average person is <clears throat> I'm fine. Like bad stuff happens, but it doesn't happen to me. Right. The yes. same. I've heard this from uh, people in car accidents. I've heard this from people um, in uh, air, airplane crashes and train derailments and all kinds of things where they're just like, I can't believe it happened to me. I can't believe like, I, I, I don't know what happened. Like it doesn't matter. Fucking the world yeah. is crazy and shit fucking happens. And this is why I'm such a big proponent of, having standard general training that everybody should have. Like you should know how to do first aid. You should yes. know how to pretend to protect yourself. You should know how to do some very basic things in my mind that are basic just in case, because I would well, rather know how to do first aid and never use it once in my life than to be in a situation and not have any idea what to do. I actually talked to a lady uh, years ago when I was doing my first aid course uh, when I first got out of the military, because I let my first aid lapse. Yeah. And I was talking to her and she was like, I had to watch my father die because I didn't know how to do CPR. And it took the the EMS guys like six minutes to get there. And by then it was just too late. Right. And it just like. Six minutes is an eternity. Oh, yeah. That's when a shit long, goes down. You can get a long. You know, I mean, like, you've been in the military, you ever done a change parade? Yeah, you got one minute getting DUs, bud. Like, <laughs> up three flights of stairs. I'm like, they, they would do that to us all the time just for shits and giggles. I mean, yep. like, so, I mean, like, yeah, they want that done in 30 seconds. And, like, you got six minutes, you got a lot of time to spare, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I can't imagine just sitting there and watching, like, just the worst moment of your life and watching the seconds tick away and have no idea what the fuck to do. Yeah. That would be a cruel punishment for sure. Um, but the, the, like the good thing is that I want to really uh, kind of hammer on this point is the fact that you did your job, right? Like if it hadn't been for you being there, think about how worse it could have been, right? Like you were able to snap into the, into the work. And when you were saying that uh, you and the other soldier, you spoke the same language. I was like, yeah, the language of work, right? <laughs> there's yeah. shit to be done. Let's go. And it's, there's oh, no absolutely. questions. There's no nothing. It's just go. I had a moment like that with uh, Scott Casey there this summer. You know, we went out for a little bike ride um, yeah. after the rolling barrage there and just sitting there having a beer with him, you know, and we just noticed some dude creeping through the, his uh, little survey there, taking pictures of everybody's garages with the bikes. And we're like, you know, there's that. I see him go for his truck and I'm like, and I just ran right after him, got on the passenger side. We just kind of looked at each other. It's like, oh yeah, it's on. Let's, yeah. let's fucking go, buds. I'm like, and then we pulled him over and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, you know, obviously case in the joint, but it's like, you're not welcome here. Yeah. And it's like, but we just kind of like having a beer after and we're like, it just turned like, it doesn't go away. It's just under control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a quote from Jordan Peterson that I love. And it's like, um, a good man is not a, um, uh, a dangerous man is a good man. And a weak man is, there we go. Uh, uh, yeah. A good man is not a weak man. It is a man, a dangerous man who has it under voluntary control. And that that's is right. absolutely correct. And I mean, there's so many different quotes like that. You know, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than it is to be a gardener in a war. Same basic principle, right? And have the skill right. set necessary when shit goes down that you're able to handle it. And that's... Yeah. There's another one I like. It's, uh, it's a mistranslation, but they're like, uh, the meek shall inherit the world. But the meek, the old translation, uh, it, it goes with sheathed swords will inherit the world. Uh, so it's more like the humble will inherit yes. the earth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the ones who have been to war, the ones who have done the training, the ones who understand, they are going to appear meek like the gray man almost, right? Mm -hmm. And But they're, they're going to be the ones who are, you see like, oh, like, like these guys know what's up. They're the ones who are going to come out of the, you know, the crowd when the wolves come. So yep. the quiet professional, right? That's, That's the it. whole ethos we ran under for 
the all the whole time I was in, right? It was always the quiet professional to be ready to do your right. job. Otherwise, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so <clears throat> let's talk about art for a little bit because you went yeah, to let's... art school. Yes. How long were you in art school? Uh, two years. Okay, and was that it? Was that through SAIT or? the jubilee in calgary or uh no that was in uh i was in ontario at the time okay because i was close to Petawal. my family was in ontario so i wanted to be uh, uh it took about a i don't know nine months before you know the benefits and everything kicked in so i was in a weird transition point before school started yeah so um but once i got into school it was just pretty much that i just focused on that and uh yeah, that was weird because, you know, all these kids are getting like loans and stuff like that, but not showing up for their classes and, you know, drinking it away. It's like, yeah, I used to drink my paychecks away too, but, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, somebody else was paying for it. So, yeah. you know, and I didn't I need to buy up. books and I didn't need to show up to my classes. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah, man. I showed up and, you know, they give us assignments and they're like, all right, you got three weeks to do this and I get it done that night. You know, just go home, done. I was like, this is fucking art school. I'm like, this isn't challenging. I just, this is what I know I'm good at. And I just need to understand a few certain skills, you know, and, you know, figure it out. But so this is the question I've always wondered is finding your medium, right? Right. Like, I'm assuming you've been drawing most of your life. Yes. But what was it that drew, like, I'm going to use a really bad pun here. What drew you to drawing? Um, I mean, like, it was never encouraged. I just always did it. So everybody just knew I was always into drawing and sketching, little doodles, stuff like that. But nobody ever took it seriously. And uh, I think it was in like 97, I was getting out of high school. And I did really good in art, like, obviously, and like, you know, I was crushing in school, but they're like, you know, if you want to be an artist, you got to go work for Disney. And to do that, it's very competition and all this shit and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. And then you got to go to Sheridan College in Toronto or in Oakville, which is like the graphic design animation school and, you know, pretty much fight your way through there. And they're like, you know, so you could do that. My stepdad. Or I could get paid to shoot at stuff. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Well, my, my stepdad was like, he's my bonus dad. Uh, He's a firefighter, uh, 35 years. And uh, his family was in the military also. And, uh, you know, so we have all that kind of going too. And he's like, either stay home, pay rent, go to school, stay here for free while you go to school, or you join the military. I'm like, pick three, but like, that's all you get. (laughs) I'm like, all right. So he's like, you know, join the military for a few years, you know, get out there, see what's up. And Mm -hmm. we had gone to an air show, uh, I think like the next week. And they had a little infantry booth set up there. And it's like, just like camping, only with guns. I'm like, isn't that what camping is anyways? Yeah. <laughs> I don't see what your issue is. Yeah. So uh, I think I was in the recruiting center like the next day. And yeah, it's getting all my shit together. But, but, you know, I played high school football. I was, wasn't athletic, but I was like, you know, into it. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, what what led you to tattooing then? Because I mean, if you're looking at oh, art and drawing, and then uh, tattooing after when I got out um, of art school, you know, looking at graphic design gigs and stuff like that, I was just in my last year, and I was actually working out with my dad and uh, one of the piercers at the shop where I got my first tattoo from back in the day. So that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for an apprentice. I'm like, oh. I just got out of art school. So I put my portfolio together all proper and whatnot, went down to the shop, asked for a job, and they told me to fuck off. So <laughs> typical tattoo artist, you know, I'm like, oh, I want a job here. It's like, I'm sure you do, asshole. Fuck off. Get out of here. <laughs> it would be so great, I showed up again the away. next week and then the next week and yeah. showed up a few weeks after that. And I'm like, listen, you either teach me or I'm going to teach myself. I'll figure it out. You know, like, there's something about this that I've always been attracted to. Um, do you ever go into the wizard's stand in Petawawa? No. Ivan's old shop? No, he had a shop back there. I'm like, anybody who's from Petawawa back in the day knows that shop, you know, because it was the I, only one. I've actually only been in Petawawa twice. And it was oh, okay. like, yeah. I went to the ranks once and I went to a couple other uh, buildings to do a couple courses, uh, a couple classes. And that's about it. 
Yeah, he his shop was literally like I'd say like 600 meters from the front gates of Pet. Oh, okay. So Probably he had like the perfect location. You could literally walk there from across the bar, go get tattooed, whatever. But he was always booked up because of all like you know, you're pretty much sitting on a gold mine. Yeah, straight up, you know. So, um, Wait, yeah, you mean, like military always... people like tattoos. Weird. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gangsters. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, like, I, I saw that a lot. A lot of the guys in Italian were getting tattooed all the time by them and stuff like that. So that was just part of the culture with Italian, too. Yeah. You know, tattoos were, you know, like, some people are getting good work, some people not so much. And, you know, but, you know, it was kind of like, you know, people were always checking them out. Like, oh, how tough are you? What do you got? You know, I was like, and, uh, yeah, so I ended up getting in uh doing my apprenticeship for nine months six days a week no pay that's how you do your penance and then right. you have to give two years at 50 percent of what you make after okay and that's that's how you pay for your apprenticeship and so, what do you what like what does an apprenticeship look like right like what how does that so i would go into the shop at uh this was in st Catharines. i go into the shop at 9 a.m i help clean the floors, clean the booths, make needles, uh, autoclave, sterilize everything, make sure the books are good, answer phones, and deal with customers with a smile on my face. So put on old Masco that I drew up, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, and especially then I didn't have the skills I needed to to deal with people. So it was a little rough around the edges trying to, that first year is like, all tattooing is, is dealing with people one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. and trying to get their ideas onto their skin and make them happy so you can get paid yeah so that's yeah. tough, man. now so how much how much drawing are you doing as an apprentice are you just pounding out like flash art or you, yeah uh yeah like the first shop i worked at was pretty much flash uh not too much in custom but by the end of the first year, because half the stuff that was on the wall was shit anyways, I was just drawing, you know, my own versions of it. And I just mm -hmm. uh, started blowing up and I don't need a million smoke breaks like all these other artists who are kind of lazy. And I just kind of excelled, put my head down, just try yeah. to get the work done, you know, it's like, all right, I know what 10 years of hard work in this industry looks like because i'm seeing the guys who have been doing it for longer and, you know they're eating pretty good so you know i need to put my head down and get the work done so yeah i bet that played pretty well too like coming from a military mindset of like if there's work to be done let's fucking get it done and i know a lot of <clears throat> i mean with all of my tattoos there's lots of times where i would i would have preferred to just keep going right we do a two-hour session and they're like okay well I'll come back next week and i'm like no man just like just, just like why you, going, you, man. that's like, not a full work day yeah. yeah i don't know what you're doing here but this is not uh not useful for me but at the same time i also understand you know some people need breaks sometimes your hand hurts sometimes you you know your vision's starting to go in you need to stand up take a walk cool let's take 15 yeah. minutes but that's it it's fucking work yeah uh that's it, it you know that's what i do it's like oh, i need to rest my eyes and like here's a little back team a little numbing spray give you a little reprieve you know so it's all about you well i'm just literally going to go back and whoo little fresh air you know just rest my eyes from that project for a minute and then come back recharge and hammer out another two hours you know and yeah. uh you know if you don't like pain it sucks because <laughs> <laughs> i'm relentless i'm like i don't care about your fucking pain bro <laughs> like <laughs> this is nothing this is superficial this is nothing you know this yep. is literally you playing like against your own mind, you know? Yeah. The only part I've ever had where it was like shocking in terms of pain was the tip of my armpit. Like, Oh yeah. Right there. That yeah, really hurt. Fun. And just on the, the top side of my shoulder blade on the back and that just for my, uh, my half sleeve on my left here, those two spots, I was like, I had to really focus on that one. <laughs> oh yeah. Otherwise, oh, yeah. there's just... definitely breathing exercises going on with tattooing. Yeah. There, there's a mantra you got to follow. You can't just sit there and be tough. It's like, 
I'm like, I don't care because I'm going to put my headphones on and I'm going to listen to my music while you're crying. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> as long as you don't move, you can make all the noise you want. Like crying's acceptable. Puking's acceptable. It's all acceptable as long as you don't move. <laughs> yeah. If you can do all so, that without moving, rock on. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good it. way to go. You know? So what drew you to like a lot of your work is Japanese style, right? Yeah. So what drew you to that? Uh, the style of drawing or the style of tattooing what was it that really caught you with that it's large scale I really like large scale big tattoos I think mm -hmm. they look on people I think they just look really powerful you know like they're just strong they're not just little bangers you know it's uh you can make a big uh the Asian style tattoos are supposed to be made, made to fit the skin mm and all the contours and all your muscle structure that's why they look so good and it's a timeless like they've been doing that since the 1600s so it's tried true that'll hold up as a tattoo forever and you know so there's a definite uh a badass quality to it too like army guys like that high speed low drag you know look cool factor of 100 yeah, yeah get it up there yeah so well man i'm <laughs> I'm from one brigade, right? So the LCF is that's priority number one, right? <laughs> Doesn't yeah. matter what a, the objective be damned. I got to look fucking yeah. cool while I do it. That's a hundred percent of the time. Uh, especially yeah. with the, uh, the VP boys out here, we're all about the, <laughs> uh, the one CR is known as the, the Hollywood regiment when it comes to <laughs> engineers, because <laughs> we have, we're allowed to wear Oakley's and shit sometimes, but, uh, <laughs> we're, we, we play it up a little bit just cause we like to, so yeah. how was working in the the tattoo field coming from you know a military mindset because the tattoo world let's put it that way is still a fringe element i mean it's becoming much more mainstream and more people have tattoos yes. now but right. 10 years ago 15 years ago tattooing was still very you know you're looking at military you're looking at bikers you're looking at uh the odd counterculture kind of people absolutely how do you how yeah. did you do that um yeah oh yeah i went through some um when i got out before i went to art school uh and i was in just kind of limbo uh the military released me to my parents there was no battalion i went to or folding platoon or anything they're like yeah just yeah your parents will take care of you that's fine Peace like, out. cool <laughs> Like, here's the bus. I'm like, we're not slowing down, but you know, we'll open the back door for you. Like, give it a kick in the ass and fucking yeah. smell your like later, roll. buds. Tuck and roll. Yeah. Oh, you're good to go. So, um, yeah. I mean, like, the only job I could get at the time was like at a gentleman's club, and people are like, "Oh, that's cool." Until you see the dirt, the pimps, the bikers, the fucking. And I'm not talking about the cool bikers I hang out with, like the yeah, fucking the bikers, yeah. I know you're talking the bikers about. and like you just see the seediness and what a slippery slope that is. It's pretty and, gross, yeah. And I'm sitting here making eight fifty an hour, bouncing, you yeah. know, and Throw, you throwing know, like the worst people out too. Like these these are not great. Well, it's not even that. Out. No, those people no, those people are running the joint. Ah. the people you know so it's like well i went from working with the canadian forces and being all proud and loving my job and having all these unfortunate accidents and the only job i can get right now is working a door at this place where you know and that was in uh niagara falls ontario so we're right on the border of buffalo so you get the americans who mm -hmm. can't drink because it's 21 coming in at 19 on a full bus load yeah and you got five guys working that night and they start a bar fight and you're like never fought so much in my fucking yeah. life i'm like and i was in the arm for yeah. fuck's <laughs> sakes and like you didn't and i just realized i'm like this is a slippery slope this is how people go to jail for you know doing shady shit for Very people bad they things, should be yeah. working for so yeah i got out of there too sweet and you know luckily my uh schooling kicked in and then i was just focused Gone. on school after yeah. that i uh my sister was a bartender at a strip club in calgary for mm -hmm. many years and my route home from where i was working uh at a high-end restaurant we closed at like midnight 
but they shut down at two, right? So I was able to, on my way home, I'd stop in and see my sister. And, you know, the first week or so, you're like, ooh, strippers, haha, yay, mm-hmm. naked girls. And then after the second week, yeah. you're like, yeah, all right, yeah. they're yeah, these the same girls, same dance routine. So after like a month, you're like, why am I here yeah. again? And then, uh, you know, I'm hanging out with my sister, talking to her, drinking beer, not even like remotely interested in the strippers, right? They're just doing their thing over there. And I'm like, whatever. Yeah, that's it. Right. And it's that same. And I've seen what I meant was uh, throwing out the, the, the people that you're throwing out from a strip club are like seedy, weird, uh, gropey, like not good people <laughs> you want to be putting hands on. And well, that's it, you know, and like, or, you know, the dude who's like, Hey man, you were just back with the girl for two hours. You got to pay. <laughs> I can't even imagine trying to ask for that. If you don't pay, well, there's three of us who are getting paid eight fifty an hour who are going to collect from you and yeah. we're going to get charged if you press charges. Yeah. because this is how cd this fucking place is good times. and that's where i was like i'm not doing it right yeah i'm not doing it right this isn't right this is wrong and the amount of just you know like you see the pimps the whores the fucking people who come in and you see that opposite side of society that i was just you know up until a couple months ago i'm not i was worried about you know the different side of that and i was like whoa i'm like it is so crazy how slippery that slope is to go from here to there and uh when i got into tattooing there was a lot of that but it was it was a weird truce so i didn't have these people coming around anymore and asking me because you know a lot of these guys knew i liked to fight i was in the infantry so you know like you could be recruited and some nefarious stuff really easily go down that slope and not saying like I will be like that type of psycho or anything like that. It's not that way, but you can see how they would target certain people like that, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, once you're in, that's it. You know, like you're fucking in. That's. Yep. I had, uh, I had a similar choice, not quite to that degree. Uh, when I was, young this is way before i was in the army and i was uh i was dealing pot like ooh, right (laughs) at the time this is in the 90s right this is old school yeah but that back then that was like nobody knew anything right yeah so i was uh i was dealing and i was i was doing well for myself to the point that my d the my dealer that i would go to told me you know i'm basically getting a second order just for you so maybe you should Mm -hmm. talk to my dealer and that way, like she was my friend, so it was not a, wasn't like a, I was trying to steal her business or anything like that. But she's like, yeah, talk to my bot, my guy here, and he'll be able to hook you up so you can, you know, order more if you want. And I was like, okay, who's your, who's your contact? And she was like, oh, she's with the H or he's with the HA. And I'm like, yeah, nope, I'm good. Thanks. And, I, and like, it was at that moment, I'm like, I think I should stop dealing drugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a line here and it's like, I'm not on that line, you know, and, you know, there's some people who are, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to judge people's fucking choices in life, but I understand that, you know, people are products of their environment and the environment I was in was not conducive to where I needed to be. I knew I was in a wrong place. I was doing wrong things, saying wrong things. So I just need to get the fuck out of there. And I just realize that quit one day and i'm like figure it out yeah that's a great way to do it too i mean the the major corollary here is that all things are choices right it's you get to choose you get to choose how you want your life to turn out right and it would be an easy choice to be like yeah sure i'll i'll start dealing with this guy and once i start dealing with that guy then i'm dealing with very negative people right and you could see how that the same thing with uh with working at the clubs i mean one job or one side job or one little hey man can you come you know stand outside my warehouse for a few hours i'll pay 300 bucks and you'd be like yeah fuck okay yeah, yeah okay, sure cool. i can do that yeah no worries right and then at that 
puts you on a little bit farther on that spectrum. And then you just another little job and another little job. And then soon enough, you're fucking way over here where you never wanted to be. <laughs> and you're there. Yep. But it is one choice, right? And then it's a second choice. And then it's a third choice. And then it, but every time you're making a choice saying, yeah, okay, that's acceptable or it's not acceptable. And for, you know, you and I, we came to a point where we were like, this isn't acceptable no. anymore, right? This is not who I am. This is not where I want to be. This is not making my parents proud, you know? Yeah. yeah my exactly. parents were really proud when I was in the military. And, you know, they understand a lot more what I went through with the, uh, the wreck and everything like that and how i've dealt with it which for a lot of years was piss poor it is what it is though yep. but i mean like recognizing that and you know i've made my vows where it's like you know i've um you know i'm not gonna repeat bad behavior and i understand that ptsd is no excuse for piss poor behavior so fucking try to you know manage yeah. up and i try not to bleed out and when i'm working with people too because i work with like a lot of artists so it's uh it's a very different dynamic you know i don't get to talk like this with them because they just have no frame of reference and yeah. you know so it's very hard dealing with um the outsider right because they may not understand and i've had to learn this the hard way a few times is that the average person doesn't understand what we're talking about and that's fine they're not supposed to right that's <clears throat> That's why we joined the army because we want to get into that kind of shit. Um, the unfortunate part is you, they have no fuck, they have no frame of reference, but they do know what it's like to be afraid. They do yes. know what it's like to um, be in a situation that they don't understand. They, they're, they can empathize. They can to a, to a very minor degree or to a whatever, like, I don't know everybody's story. Right. But, they can take a piece of it and go, okay, I have, I can empathize with you. And getting over that hump is very hard for a lot of people because you, you have to fully recognize that they're not going to understand what you're, what you're talking about, but they can empathize if you let them. That's a very tricky process. Now you said you work with a lot of artists and stuff like that. What I wanted to ask this because I think it's a very interesting concept uh raw talent work or a mixture of both what is what have you seen from that kind of community um, because you know in the military we have there's guys that are like supremely talented right yes. i mean i'm sure you've seen them they they come in and they're just like fucking that guy's a yeah. fucking soldier right <laughs> yeah. Just... yeah that guy switched on that guy's genetics is on point you know like yeah they Solid. just, they just, th that's what their, their fate is. That's what their mission is. Yeah. They, and then they're, they're also the guys where you're like that guy, I don't know how the fuck he is still here, but they're the hardest workers in the room. Right. And they <laughs> will just, they will outwork, uh, outplay, outmaneuver, just, they will never fucking quit. And then there's the mixture of both, right? The guys that are really really solid the warriors is the ones I call them are like, they have a raw talent and they will not fucking quit. And, uh, so what do you, what have you seen from the tattooing world when I'm talking the people that you've uh, worked with and stuff? Do you think it's a, any comment? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, the people I look up to in the tattooing world are the ones who are definitely hustling, you know, like they, they know they are, they're talented and they want to work with the best and like that same type of, uh, they have a healthy competition you know keep their art going keep you know like look what i can do oh you did this look what i can do you know and same kind of thing in the military um not everybody's like that though because i mean like artists come from all different branches of life you know mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people who are just really quiet you know and they do a good artwork but they don't market themselves and they the confidence factor is very low in our in our world mm -hmm. That's surprising. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of false confidence. There's a lot of like bravado, like, look at me, I can tattoo. I got a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And they got sponsors and all this shit. But I mean, like, do you tattoo? Do you fucking like literally like do body suits on people or do you just do little bangers? That's the treat of the week. And, you know, um, the people that I look up to and I try to aspire to are the ones who literally put it down. 
like on paper every day and work, you know, they literally go in and work on one client from nine to five and just crush it out. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, confidence is key, especially yeah. when you're dealing with clients, because if you're confident with them and you got everything under control, then they're good with the skin, with the money they're paying. But if you're coming off like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's not a way to sell yourself and, you know, inspire confidence, you know, in what you're doing, especially in something that's permanent and going to be on your body forever. Yeah. So I get a lot of anxiety on that. That's why I keep pushing myself. You know, it's a little military sergeant back in my head. It's like, is it good or is it okay? You yeah. know, because good enough is the enemy of great. Absolutely. My, uh, my sergeant told me this once <clears throat> many years ago and he was just like, uh, you can, if there is doubt, there is no doubt. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was talking about minefields, right? Like if you're, yeah. if you have an inkling that you're in a minefield, you are treated as such, right? <laughs> and go from there. Um, but I, I've taken that into a lot of my life is that uh, when we were overseas at one point, I had a captain come up, an infantry captain come over and he's like, can you clear that building? I was like, yes. He's like, okay, go do it. I'm like, roger that. And I grabbed my fire team partner and I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing let's <laughs> see what happens <laughs> right <laughs> but that the the confidence to say absolutely i got this no problem allowed him to trust me to get the job done and i was insecure in my own skill set at that point in time right i still i knew exactly what needed to happen him my fire team partner and i we cleared the building we made sure there wasn't any fucking uh explosives and then we bedded down there for the night with the rest of the platoon but had I gone, uh, I mean, uh, maybe, yeah, yeah, no, Flags I should, yeah, up, sure, right? yeah, I, I should yeah. be good. That yeah, captain would never right. fucking trust me ever again, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you're getting chose last. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, you're gonna go to the back of the line. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna bring or somebody first on patrol. You know, one, one yeah. of the two. <laughs> well, no, that the thing is, I was the first on patrol, and that's where you know, as an engineer, that's where you yeah. want to be. You're clearing the road, right? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's that, that level of confidence to say, absolutely, in the moment, and then go, how am I going to do this? <laughs> okay. And then, you know, you work through the plan and you, 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 you move forward. But uh, you're, you're absolutely right in that, that confidence to just go for it, right? As you yeah. said earlier, when you, were, you wanted the apprenticing job, right? You showed up. They said, no, you showed up again. They said, no, you showed up again. They said, and you're like, absolutely, this is happening. I don't like, really, you don't have a choice in this. <laughs> this Pretty is much, happening. You know, right? yeah, that, that's exactly it. And it's like, you know, when you know where you want something, especially after, you know, like when uh, just doing my, my basic and stuff, like most of my instructors were all ex airborne, right? You know, that was 98. So airborne was, what was that, 96? That yeah, they, they were 90 six or 97 i think i can't quite remember so like all these guys were fresh out of the airborne back into the rcrs and uh, yeah you know but With a chip uh, on their shoulder too right <laughs> yeah and then like i said we got the ice storm so um my basic for saint john got pushed to um that spring with uh, in 98 and i think there was three or four courses that i went through that did their basic and battle school at in meaford mm -hmm. so it was like 100 attention you're all doing infantry so you're getting it and <laughs> yeah you, you know the, the, those courses put out some good soldiers straight up so um that's, that's I, awesome. I value a lot of my drive from that too you know because yeah. you know they're like well i'm not doing that work anymore you know the work I do right now is not that it's, I, I hardly even consider it work anymore. Like, yeah, I do my homework. I do my drawing and my exercises, but it's not a physically um, driving the body, you know, and I'm, I'm at the point where it's like, I'm really trying to push my brain to, you know, come up with cool ideas and keep pushing because I just see people who had talent, but they don't use the power behind them, the work ethic, because they never had any. So they'll make a few bucks and then, you know, fall yeah. away, fade away, make a few bucks, fade away. You know, I, um, I have a similar problem. I'm a, I've always been what I, 
been told many times I'm the jack of all trades, right? Like I, <clears throat> I pick up on stuff really fast. I don't master many skill sets. I can just, I have a general knowledge of a lot of things. And right. <clears throat> unfortunately that's affected me negatively quite a bit because I pick up on stuff really fast, right? So when we first start learning a, a subject or back to when I was in high school and they were like, okay, here's, you know, algebra or trigonometry or whatever we were doing. I'd pick up on it super fast. I'd be like, okay, cool, let's move on. And they're like, well, no, we still got to go through the next four or five days. We're gonna, and I'd get bored and then I'd stop paying attention. And then we'd move on to something else and I wasn't even paying attention to it. And then three days later, I'd be like, well, where the fuck did we, what happened just here? And I'd be way behind. And then I'd have yeah. to try and either climb back or at the time I was just like, fuck it, right? I didn't have that work ethic because I was picking up on stuff so quickly. Um, but that it, it is a very real thing where I could see someone with talent, you know, oh yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. I can drop whatever, but never really challenging themselves because they don't need to, right? They have... Well, and that's it with tattooing. Everybody's different. Every human's different. So you're working with a different canvas every day. So the more experience you have with different canvases, you're, you know, like it, it determines on if you're having a successful tattoo come out at the end of the day. I'm not doing little bangers, like do full sleeves, back pieces, body suits. I tattoo like a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and uh, that's the thing. It's uh, I know how much it hurts and i know how much it costs and the investment for time and pain and just sitting there to get it you know so i try to be as professional and as confident as i can so when my clients leave they're just like fuck yes <laughs> that's that's the ultimate feeling right when you walk out when yeah. you as as somebody who has tattoos i when i walk out i'm like that's fucking awesome yeah. like that's fucking awesome it just that makes my day makes the pain worth it. It makes the, the pay worth it. Like it's just good to go. Now we, we touched on this a second ago, but I wanted to dive into a little bit more was uh, how you, I have my question here and I lost it. There we go. Um, the creation process. Now the creation yes. process is different for everybody. Right. And I mean, for me, when I'm building stuff or I'm writing or I'm working on my podcast or anything, I'm very linear. I have to have, all my ducks in a row, I have to be talking about this, then this, then this, then this, then this. Otherwise, my brain goes fucking into left field and I'm lost. How, but for yourself, when you're talking about tattooing or coming up with a new project or a new piece of art, how does that creational process work for you? So I have a, a design day where I usually just have one or two days in a row. Like today was one of my design days where I just, I literally get to stay at home, drink coffee all day, and I lock myself in my basement. I start out with preliminary rough sketches that are like, you know, two, three inches tall for a back piece, just mm -hmm. so uh, for perspective and stuff. And I start building from that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like um, as far as the ideas go, my clients come to me with a lot of ideas. They like my style. They like what I'm kind of putting out. So I'll do like a half hour to a 40 minute consultation and really try to get some ideas out of them, you know, similar to like what we were talking about, like what you want to see. And then what I can picture laying out as a successful tattoo, because I mean, if you don't do it all the time, you know, putting pictures on the skin, like you can randomly place them, but you know, yeah. it won't look that good. You know, you want it to be like, like you said, like you walk into a room, you know, if you go have beers with a few other, your operator friends or whatever, and they're looking at your tattoo going like, who the fuck did that? I want that on my skin right now. I'm like, that's yeah. what I'm going for. You know, I'm going for the, who the fuck did that tattoo? And, um, well, because, I, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the, that was the exact thought I had when I first saw your artwork. I, I can't remember what it was. I think I was just scrolling, uh, Instagram at the time. And I just, I was like, man, that is awesome. And then I was like, holy shit that's a tattoo i thought it was like an actual piece of art uh, like it's one of your drawings and i was like holy fuck all right the, the, okay i'm gonna do some research and i started looking into like yep 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 oh and he's military fuck yes i'm done <laughs> and then i think i called you that day i'm like yep this is the guy that's doing my yeah. tattoo um that's what yeah exactly <laughs> so uh here's a big one for you yeah how is art and like the creation of art and like even your um i don't know what the actual term for them is but yeah the the paintings the the drawings that you've done as well um 
how has that changed you? Like since you, like you, there's obviously you got, you know, dealing with trauma, like direct trauma, you're dealing with the trauma of leaving your brothers, the trauma, like you have trauma upon trauma upon trauma, unfortunately, which yeah. is a horrible situation to be in. But how has art helped? How has that? Uh, art's been my saving grace. <laughs> uh, tattooing is, you know, like you were saying before about um, just staying on point. Like I got a lot of great ideas for what I'd like to do in business and life and all that. But the one constant I have is tattooing and people who want to get tattooed on me in art. So um, yeah, bad days. Um, I can literally not like, I don't drink. Um, I smoke a lot of cannabis, but I can smoke a joint and disappear into my art room for three, four hours, just drawing, listening to podcasts, watching movies, just, you know, I'm in my basement with my safe and all my stuff. I'm perfectly safe. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, uh, if I didn't have that, there would definitely been, you know, something else going on trying to fill that space, whether it be like alcohol, women, you know, bad stuff, yeah. you know uh the creation process now i'm sitting on like six giant portfolios that have like three giant pieces of paper like that drawing i did today that are just full yeah you know like i can put out like three or four art books right now that are just drawings you know so uh, i'm literally sitting on like 15 years worth of art and drawings that i have all collected here so um I can actually see when I'm depressed in my drawings, hmm. which That's is, yeah. So I can see where I maybe didn't, you know, it was good enough. It wasn't great. Or there was times where I'm like, I just wasn't on this drawing is a little lack laxing because the details are, I just didn't put as much effort into it because, Oh yeah. Cause I was going through this at that time. So, you know, but I still did some drawings. I was still not fucking punching walls or fucking being mad at anything. I was like, I call it to a lot of my clients. I'm like, I was praying to paper. It was like yeah. literally just putting my head down, scribbling, get my drawings done. And, you know, when I look up after it, like I'm pretty, uh, uh, I'm a, I like socially, but I'm like kind of a loner too. It's just me and my wife. And then, you know, this Instagram thing kicked off and super popular on that, which I wasn't expecting. And now it's like, cool. Like I'm a popular introvert. Yep. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> so uh, yep. for work, it's great, but it's uh, also for me, it's like, cool. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a tough thing to, to step into as well. Like I, when I first got involved with the walk, I was supposed to be the PR guy for the Edmonton team. That was it. Like all I was going to do was like post social media stuff and like I could text some, mm. take some pictures and set it up. I did not want to be in the limelight in any way. And, and somehow now I'm the national uh, organizer. I don't know <laughs> <You're laughs> what happens, right? Yeah. So one, one oh, of the I'm national good at my job. I'm like, cool. Promoted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a great uh, series online on YouTube. Um, shit i can't remember what it's called now but it's all about uh or battlefield friends that's what it is and okay. uh one of the the long-standing jokes in there is just like whenever you do something funny and you get a bunch of experience that you're like promoted and the guy's like promoted promoted uh, but yeah i i didn't feel like that at the time i was just all of a sudden somebody was like oh you're good at this job okay you take over and i'm like oh uh okay uh sure yeah, yeah. all right yeah yeah okay but <laughs> so i in, see what happens um now here's another question and i know a lot of people really want to know what this one is what do you think the biggest challenge in tattooing is because as an outsider i would mm -hmm. think that the uh dealing with the person like trying to get their imagery into your art would be the biggest challenge that from my my mindset because when i describe something to you in words it's not going to be the same as what's in my head right it'll be close right but then right. I have to translate it into your head somehow and have you put right. it on paper. That seems like an impossible task to me, but for you, what do you think the biggest challenge in tattooing is? Honestly, it's, uh, it's not even the art or the actual tattooing. It's communication. Hmm. 
100% communication with your client and being honest with them and knowing what kind of skills and things you can offer. If you don't do portraits and people want a portrait, you're going to probably fuck up that portrait. And, you know, if it's somebody they care about, which if they're getting a portrait, they do, then, you know, you don't want to be that guy who fucks up the portrait. So, you know, being truthful with what your strengths are. Right. So, um, and like I said, the communication and being able to communicate that it's like, uh, young tattooers are coming up now and they're like, how do you get clients to do these big works all the time? And it's like, oh, you know, uh, feel the dreams, motherfucker. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. So if you don't do the art, if you don't do the practice and you don't show them, then they don't know what you can do and art is like you can talk the talk and just like in the infantry and stuff you can talk and say you're doing all this shit but unless you were there and you got your brothers to back you up i'm like you didn't do shit in the art world it's well i don't need them to tell me i'm good i need to show them i'm good yeah and i need to do that through my art and i need to do that consistently i need to do it every fucking day and every tattoo i do you know needs to literally be the one that's improved from yesterday because that's how we get better and you know um, that is uh that's such a great allegory for everything mental health too communication is key right if you aren't communicating what you need or what is happening in your head no one's going to help you no one can help you because they don't know what the fuck's going on and as much as you want them to (laughs) can't fucking do anything unless they know right and uh, the statement you made earlier too, uh, there's there's a level of humility there, right? You have to be able to say, this is not good, but then put it off to the side and be like, okay, I'm going to do better tomorrow, right? Yeah. And then I'm going to do better tomorrow and I'm going to do better tomorrow. It doesn't matter whether this piece was a masterpiece or it was shit. I'm going to do better tomorrow and just keep going because your days are, every day is... Uh, every tomorrow is another chance to get better, right? And it doesn't yeah. matter how bad your day is right now. Tomorrow's a new day. And as a tattoo artist, like my art lives in people, literally. So it only lasts as long as those people last. It's not going to be hanging on a wall somewhere at the end of the day, you know, when those people are here. So um, I'm deathly aware of mortality obviously from the infantry and from the traumas i've faced and anybody who's gone into the combat arms knows what's up you know it's high risk you know uh but yeah it's weird with tattooing you know i've tattooed clients who've got sleeves and stuff and passed away like mid tattoo like big projects and stuff and it's just like damn these people aren't just canvases they're my friends i mean like i've been working with them 20 30 hours now you know inflicting pain on them i know what their kids names are i know how their family's doing they like when you're getting in pain you you express a lot and you open a lot up to people that you probably wouldn't before because you're sharing that you know yeah yep. so uh tattooing is like as soon as i do that i mean like especially when i'm tattooing bats and it's like as soon as we get going it's like man, the floodgates come open and you start talking about whatever. And it's like, whoa, all right, here we go. Yeah. Do you find that that happens like regularly where people will start using as you using you as like a personal therapist as they're working? Uh, or? No, I have a, I have a policy and no horror stories in the shop because it affects me a little too much yeah. because um, I'm really good at visualization. So, I mean, like you're telling me about being over in Afghanistan and stuff like that you know, seeing videos and whatnot, it's like, all right, I can pretty much picture what kind of like, you know, what you guys were doing, you know, and um, some people, you know, like the trauma, the first thing that comes up is the trauma, you know, and, you know, it's hard sometimes. I don't want to be like, stop. I don't want to hear your shit. It's like, all right, bro. I mean, like if we're going to talk stories, happy stories, good goes. And, you know, we're going to keep the vibe at a certain pace here. We're not going to let it come down and slow us down because it's going to make things hurt so much more you know you're already hurting with that let's talk about good stuff let's get the good healing going get that pain therapy going you know and 
you know, once I become a therapist, if I ever did, then, you know, I'll charge you a shit ton more for what we're doing and then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah. That'd be an interesting therapy, uh, therapy technique. Uh, I'm going to go see my therapist and come back with more art. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It costs like 600 bucks an hour. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. But VA's paying for it though. It's great. Yeah. Got a bodysuit. <laughs> yeah, man. That'd be fucking, that'd be sweet. And you'd get, man, you get tons of hours worth of therapy just crammed into what, like eight, nine days. Right. <laughs> be good to go. <laughs> well, we, uh, this has been great brother. First off, I, I just want to say thank you for being on, man. This is awesome. We've been going for quite a bit over an hour actually, but now <laughs> do you have any, uh, final points, anything else you want to say to all of my listeners? Um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, um, military was a big part of my life. I love every second of it. Even the bad stuff, I look back now, it was good. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like, looking back and even talking to you about this, it's there's a lot more light on, you know, veterans and our businesses. And, you know, um, I would say anybody trying to get out and transition, it's like, yeah, just get that team behind you, you know, number one. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like for individual. Like for me, it was my wife and uh, getting her on the same page as me. And once she was on the same page as me and knew what we were on, then she's the only one I need in my, my corner. And then once I was good with that, then we made shit happen, you know? So, yeah, but. that's, uh, that's awesome. I, I was very similar. I had took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do. But yeah, communication, as you said earlier, right? You got to be able to communicate what you want, how you want to get there. And then you can move forward from there. Otherwise, you just lost. Um, if anybody wants to know more about you, see some of your artwork, where would they find you? How would they look that up? Uh, I'm, uh, I have a full portfolio on Instagram at Mr. Damien Robertson. And uh, that's pretty much it. Facebook, Damien Robertson. And that's pretty much it for the social media and all that stuff. I don't have a website. I just like the free stuff. So throw up some artwork and yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, brother. Well, uh, again, I, I can't thank you enough. I think this has just been an absolutely great episode and there's some really, really good information for those that are struggling and some great tools for those that uh, they can just add to their toolbox another point in time, right? So this is... That's what's up. The whole oh, reason thanks for this. having me. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been great. Uh, I really appreciate it. You know, uh, my, my being pleasure. able to talk to veterans. That's what's up. Right? That's helping vets. That's it. That's it. That concludes this episode of The Toolbox. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you were able to use some of the information that was offered. I want to thank all those putting it on the line for us every day. Military, veterans, first responders, and public servants. Keep up the good work. I look forward to bringing you more tools for your toolbox. And until next time, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. Chimo.